Well, once again, a, a very warm welcome to you this morning, whether uh, you're worshiping with us in person or you're joining us uh, online. It's so good and so needful to be able to come together in this way to, to worship, and, and what a beautiful morning it is, and not uh, simply because of the, the beautiful uh, weather, the, the, the warm temperatures and, and uh, cloudless sky, but also this morning that we have the opportunity to come and celebrate uh, both of these uh, gifts that God has given us, these tangible physical gifts of the sacraments of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper, just two uh, uh, physical, tangible gifts that God has given to His church as visible, tangible uh, reminders, uh, pictures, proclamations of the gospel. And we also um, have the privilege of turning to God's Word this morning, which we make a priority of doing each week. We believe that through the ages, God has and continues to speak to His people uh, through it, and that remains our expectation this morning. And, and we continue to believe that God will speak to us, his people, through his word. And in doing so, uh, we currently find ourselves in a, a little mini-series on the book of, of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah. It's what we call one of the minor prophets, and it's a, a relatively short book. It's only four chapters long. And last week, as we looked at chapter one, we, we noted that there uh, were three characters that appear in the opening chapter. And those three characters were Jonah himself, uh, a bunch of pagan uh, sailors, and God. And we discovered that, that Jonah ran away from God. God gave him very uh, clear, specific instructions to go to uh, the Assyrian capital of Nineveh and tell them about his goodness and grace and encourage them and call them to turn to him. And Jonah thought, no, I'm not up for that. I'm going to go in a completely the opposite direction. And so he boards a ship. He gets on a ship headed towards Tarshish. And the boat, as it's on its journey across the Mediterranean Sea, a great and giant storm and wind are stirred up. Until the moment that, that Jonah realizes that his actions have endangered all of the other men on the ship. And so as a result, he encourages them to, to throw him into the sea in order to, to ensure that actually it's him that receives the punishment rather than the rest of these men that are on the boat. And we're picking up the story now this morning as the prophet Jonah begins sinking into the depths of the sea. Uh, the, the sailors are now done and dusted. Their part of the story is finished. They've met and encountered something of God. And I suppose that they then carry on with their journey to Tarshish, I would expect, in relatively uh, calm waters. But we are still left with God and Jonah, and now we're introduced to this giant fish. And I'm not going to spend time this morning talking about what kind of fish it was, whether the fish had teeth or whether it was some great whale shark. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us details of that. But I do believe that it is a real fish and that it actually did swallow up Jonah whole. And by the way, I, I've... I view this event as historical, if for no other reason than quite simply the fact that Jesus did. Uh, we read that in Matthew chapter 12. And so again, we have three characters um, as we come to chapter 2. A giant fish, Jonah in the belly of the fish, and God. 
And really, it's Jonah's relationship with God and conversation with God that we're going to look at today. So I'm going to read actually the very end of of chapter 1, verse 17, and then through to the end of chapter 2. And I certainly encourage you to follow along as you'll find the text um, in your worship guide this morning. So the end of chapter 1 just says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And as Jonah now finds himself in the belly of this great fish, he begins to pray. And as we read this prayer, there may be lines or phrases in it that you may relate to and may think, this so speaks as if, it, as if it's me speaking. I know I've spoken to God like this many times. So Jonah's prayer goes like this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up, out upon the dry land. This is the word of God. So it's an incredible story. It's also a pretty weird story, to be sure. It raises all sorts of questions, but it's a remarkable story. This idea that God would do something so bizarre to go about rescuing one that had run away from him in order to put him in a circumstance and situation which caused him to remember God and remember who God was. But that's always been God's business from the very beginning of time. If you were to say that the book of Jonah is a story of God's saving grace, not just towards one man, but but towards a whole people, you could say that the whole narrative of all of this book, all 66 books that make up the Bible, is that salvation belongs to God and to Him alone. That God rescues, that God pursues and chases after those who turn away from Him, those who walk away, those who go in their own separate direction and end up in points of, of distress as a result, feeling like the, the weeds are wrapped around their heads, as it were, feeling like they're sinking to the bottom of the ocean, feeling like like the bars have, been, bars have been closed in upon them. And at those moments, God just seems to continuously bring about salvation and rescue to those who call out to his mighty name. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that probably in one way or another, now 
now I can't say that your salvation story was I, I got swallowed up by a fish and, and God spat me out and I realized God rescued me at that point. I'm pretty sure that won't be any of our, our testimony stories this morning. But, but so much we can relate to those moments of just, just recognizing I can't do this. I'm, I'm stuck. I am unable to rescue myself. I need God. I need to cry out to him. And there's this innate promise that actually our prayers are heard by the living God, that our prayers go into the temple. They approach the most holy place of God, and God grants us access for our prayers to be heard. And in that moment, God says, I'm going to execute my salvation plan once again. And, and you see all of these little stories that we find littered throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Stories like this one uh, of Jonah, what they do is they echo and they point forward towards the bigger story, that, uh, the biggest story of all that God has done. The great salvation plan that, that he executed as his son came into this world to live and to die and then to rise again on our behalf. But, but, but what I think is interesting about Jonah is that he's a prophet. I mean, he's already spoken on God's behalf. I mean, he knew the scriptures. He knew the character of God. He knew the story of grace. But there was something about being in the belly of this fish that caused that the note of grace that he knew to be true. He knew that salvation belongs to the Lord, but he didn't really feel it or experience it until all of a sudden he was in a circumstance and situation where like this note of grace reverberated in his ears like never before. As it was as if all of a sudden something that he, he, he kind of knew to be true had become lived and embodied in him. All of a sudden this thing that was maybe just... It, was more like an intellectual understanding, had started to break its way into his heart. But we also notice in the book of Jonah that Jonah's not finished yet. I mean, we've still got the two chapters to read, and I promise you, Jonah is not a finished character. He really isn't. The, the story doesn't quite turn the way we'd hoped it would. But nevertheless, there's something about this experience in the belly of the fish as he was sinking to the bottom of the ocean that he starts to encounter and experience something that he hadn't before. He starts to really understand the goodness and grace of God towards him. And listen, I think there's something of what Jonah discovered here that relates to our experience as well. I mean, many of us, have grown up in a Christian family. Uh, we've understood the truth of the gospel from maybe even very, a very young age. But the sort of reverberating sound of grace really never became true for us. But then eventually, often due to some un unwanted event or circumstance in, in our life, often due to our own, uh, our, our, because of our own decisions, the, the, but through that, the word grace really began to make sense and come alive to us. 
You know, it stopped just being this head thing. It was this, if this note of grace just be, began filling up our ears and we began really hearing it for the first time. And, and we wanted to, to, to live our life completely differently as a result of the, of the truth starting to bear fruit in our life. And then we have to start asking the questions because then you say, well, actually, do I despise the circumstances of life if they drive me towards the goodness and grace of God to experience his salvation? Because that's a big question. It's one that I haven't got time to answer today, but that's a massive question. Do the circumstances of life despite the trials and difficulties of them, sometimes drive us to a place in which we encounter and experience the saving grace of God, which changes our life forever. And, and that's something I would say a lot of people wrestle with. They, they wrestle with, well, why did I have to end up in the belly of a fish to understand this? Why did I have to end up feeling like the weeds were wrapped around my head and I was sinking to the roots of the mountain? Why do I have to feel as if the bars are closing in upon me forever before it starts resounding in my life? You know, I once heard of that apparently there's a, a Jamaican saying that, that says, if you cannot hear, you must feel. If you cannot hear, you must feel. And, and I think that's sometimes where uh, the, there are just moments in our life where, 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 where you go, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. But sometimes I feel an encounter of the grace of God in my life. And sometimes it isn't through some mountaintop experience. Sometimes it's in the pits. Sometimes it's in the pits of life when we feel as if we're sinking, we're entrapped, and we're never going to find our way out, that we experience something of the goodness and grace and kindness of God. You see, for all of us, we have to go through a number of stages to get to this moment of grace. And the first stage is this, we, the realization that we are guilty. This is the, the first step to really experiencing the grace of God. We have to recognize that we contributed toward this problem. All the, the, the time that it, it feels like the, the problem between me and God was just, you know, out there, this out there thing, and, 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 and we, 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 when it's, we never then really own the problem. All the time that we kind of think, oh yeah, God's grace, God's grace, he's kind towards me because, you know, that's his job, but I'm fine. I haven't really done anything, you know, that, that wrong. I'm a pretty nice person. It's all of a sudden that... that when we get to the point where we realize, hang on a second, this is my fault. I did it my way. You know, the, 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 uh, you know, the great Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. I did. I just pursued life myself. I just thought, this is the sort of life that, I, that I'm going to live. These are the things that make me happy. This is, I'll, I'll be that kind of person or I'll do these sorts of things. Maybe you had a selfish interest. 
But then we start to realize that our greatest problem is we don't have a relationship with the loving God who made us, who created us, who knew us, who knew my deepest form, who cared about me so much. And we don't have a relationship with that God. And we realize that actually we didn't have a relationship with it had nothing to do with him. It was all to do with us. We didn't want a relationship with that God. We didn't want to know him. We didn't, didn't love him. We didn't chase after him with all our heart. It, is, it was our fault. We are guilty. We fell short of the expectations that were placed upon our life. See, the, the danger is until we reach that moment of guilt... The, the, the whole time, we just think that God's saving grace is unnecessary. You don't really need to save me, God. I'm all right. I'm fine. I can fix this myself. I'll, I'll do this. It's, it's good. We haven't got a problem here, have we? It isn't until the moment that we start to realize that we have a problem between us and God, that we don't have a relationship with this one who created us, that we start to realize, I need the grace of God. And until we reach that moment, I don't think we've truly been saved. I don't think until you truly have, we've reached out and called out on the Lord and said, Jesus, you only can save. Salvation belongs to you and you alone. So we have to go through the process of understanding our guilt. And then secondly, we have to understand that we are spiritually impotent to do anything about it. But we are unable to fix this problem ourselves. You see, I'm very well aware of the fact that I still fall well short of the glory of God in my life. But often my biggest issue is I get stuck here. Rather than really getting to grace, I get stuck here. I try and fix it. I don't really believe that I'm sinking to the bottom and that the, uh, and the lands where the bars are closed upon me forever. I know, I, I try and be optimistic about it. So, so I go, it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, the arm's hanging off, but it's all right. It'll, I mean, it'll be fine. It's just a scratch. And in our lives so often, rather than accepting that we are unable to fix this problem between us and God... We constantly try and fix it. And often it's the case of just trying to be very religious. You know, we try and find religious ways to fix things. I try and solve it in and of myself and do things to make God happy with me. God, I, I know you're angry about that, but look, you're happy about this, aren't you? I kind of, I you know, I was kind that day. I know I was unkind that day, but I balanced it up, didn't I? And so constantly our lives are just lived in this cycle until we realize both of these truths, that I fall short and I'm guilty, and I'm un completely unable to fix the problem in and of myself. I mean, the human condition is one of always trying to fix its own problems. The human condition is always one of, but well, we can fix it, can't we? Really, we, we can make it right. We, we must have a solution in and of ourselves. Such Surely human ingenuity is going to fix this giant problem. But if the problem is separation between me and God, and I'm the one that caused the problem, 
I can't fix it. I can try and try and try, but I'm unable to fix the problem in and of myself. I'm as unable as Jonah is unable to get himself out of this fish and back onto dry land. And then we also get to this point where we just realize, oh, and he is holy, that God is so different from me. You know, I'm, I'm just a blade of grass. I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow. Who is man that you are mindful of him? And then Jonah starts saying things like, but my prayer came into your holy temple. There's something about this holy God set apart and wholly different from us that still turns his ears towards his people, just waiting for the moment in which we accept, God, I've fallen short. I'm unable to fix this. And it's, all at that moment, when there's just this crying hope within Jonah here that he sees, despite the circumstances that he's put himself in, I mean, this wasn't somebody else's doing. It wasn't because of someone else's actions. It was because of his own actions. But because of it, he all of a sudden starts to remember the Lord and remembering that he and he alone can bring about salvation. And it rescues and changes him like nothing else. And you know what? I've discovered that when this idea of grace really starts to reverberate in our, our life, you know, you've, you've really heard the beautiful note of grace and it just rings out, then you start to hear it in loads of other circumstances and situations. I mean, just this week at our small group, uh, small our community group, um, that we were, we were talking uh, during the evening about uh, favorite movies. And, and one of my very favorite movies is Les Miserables, the, the film about the French Revolution. And as I watch that movie, I think I love it so much because I, I just keep hearing the, the notes of grace that just run throughout it. And Les, Les Mis wasn't written by a Christian, but there's something about the reverberation of grace that just resounds in this story that just draws me in. I mean, like, it, like watching is like one of the best sermons I've ever heard preached. Just, just seeing this thing of grace being enacted out. And if you don't know the, 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 the story, there's this character, Jean Valjean, and, and basically he steals a loaf of bread to feed his family because he's a, a poor French peasant. And he's trying to provide for his family, so he just takes the loaf of bread in order to, 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 to feed them. But, it, but he's caught and he's condemned to work in a chain gang. He, uh, he has to then for like 10 years, you know, work and pay back the debt of his, of his theft that he's done. And he's angry about it. He says, I, I, don't, I don't deserve this. I, I only took a loaf of bread and yet I've, you know, I've had to do this for 10 years. Grace has not made any sense to him yet. He's angry and he's still trying to pay it back. And then one day he's freed, he's, he gets released, and so this prisoner, he's then released, and he tries to uh, incorporate himself back into life, into society. But what he realizes is that actually people don't want to know him anymore because he's known as a criminal. He's got a criminal record. Uh, he applies for a job, but they don't want him. He tries to take on property and a home. They don't want him. And, and, and now all of a sudden, his life is defined by his past failure. And he, and he, and he understands this guilt 
this guilt that was there, but now he f- it feels like it's going to define him for the rest of eternity. And, th- and he thinks, well, so what? Fine. If, that's gonna be a, if I'm going to be convicted and condemned uh, for this one thing for the rest of my days, I may as well live the absolute worst I can. And, and he ends up at a church. And, and as he's in the church one night, he just steals everything out of the church. The church had fed him. They'd given him soup. They'd given him a bed for the night. And he just robs it blind, just takes everything, takes the gold, takes the plates, takes the silverware, takes it all, and he flees. And he knows that he's guilty. It wasn't just a loaf of bread. He knows. He understood. He, 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 he starts to reckoning, I'm guilty. But he gets caught by the police as he's running away. And the police drag him back to the church from which he stole, from which he you know, theft all of this, this stuff. And, they, and as they drag him back, him back in, you, you see his face. He knows that he's guilty. He recognizes all that he's done. He knows he deserves to be condemned. He knows that he deserves to be punished and sent back to the, the, the chain gang for the rest of his days. But in that moment, the priest who, who that, the night before had welcomed him in and fed him, he looks at him and says, but son, you forgot the most expensive bits. And then he, he, he takes two candlesticks, the most valuable possessions in the church, and, and he gives them to Jean Valjean and he puts them in the bag and he says, now you go and give your life to God. And at that point, I'm, I'm just like, this is the grace of God. It's, it's just a story, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I, I, I can't get over the fact of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And it's just incredibly true that I don't have to just land on this bit of the bad news of the story that I'm guilty and that I fall short and I can't fix it and that God's holy and there's no way back to him, but I get invited in. get invited in because of what Christ has done on my behalf. I get invited to come to a table and say that the goodness and grace of God is sweeter than anything else I could ever experience. And it changes us. It changes me like nothing else. I want to live my life for God in response to him, not because I'm paying him back, but because I love him, because he's shown such love to me. And something I just want to land on is just recognizing, I want us to understand that this table that we're going to be coming to in a moment is not cheap. You know, the bread and the wine is just bread and wine that we picked up. But what it symbolizes is not cheap. Actually, if you realize that that salvation, your salvation, cost Jesus his glory in heaven, his life on this earth, it it entailed unimaginable suffering. You start to realize that grace is not cheap. It's, it's, it's very, very costly. It cost him everything in order to rescue you. And you know, if your view of yourself, if you think, God wouldn't be interested in me, why would he want to save me? If your uh, opinion of yourself is so low, you need to hear the truth that God sent his son to die in your place, to rescue you, to bring you back. He is the God of the, of the one sheep that goes astray. He leaves the 99 behind to rescue the one. God's interested in the one. But the flip side of it is, 
Also, don't make the problem someone else's. Don't start saying, oh, well, I, I understand he died for the sins of the world. No, he died for your sins. Understand that your contribution to the sin problem would, would alone have been so great that it still required the costly sacrifice of God's own son to hang on a cross in your place. I mean, when we really get that, how can we do anything else but be, how, you know, how can it not stir in us a place of worship and adoration and devotion? And, 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 and as Jonah says, I will sacrifice to you and to you alone. My body is now a living sacrifice. My money and resources are now yours. Everything I have is yours, Jesus. Where else can I turn? This is the, the one that has died and given me new hope and new life. And all of a sudden, I start to see that and I start to realize it. And, and you know what? The most amazing part of this is that, that when we tell this story to kids... I think we, we tell them it because we think the most miraculous thing in it is that a fish swallowed a man and spat a man back out on the shore three days later. Now that is miraculous. I'm not denying that that's miraculous, but that isn't the greatest miracle in this chapter. The greatest miracle in the chapter is the fact that God repairs a broken relationship between himself and this man. You know, we often sit here and say, do you know what? If only, if only God did that, you know, that miraculous thing, then I would believe. I'd know it then. Listen, actually, the greatest miracle that has ever happened in your life is the day that you put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the day that you went from death into life. It's the day that you were vomited back into the land of the living. It's the moment that Christ's death and resurrection changed and transformed you and you became his and his alone. Dead people into uh, alive people, that's the greatest miracle that could ever occur. Broken relationships being restored, you know, broken relationships between God and man being restored, that is the great miracle. You know, if you're a follower of of, of if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, as you come to this table, understand and even look around at one another and understand that you are examples of the miracle of God. Your salvation doesn't belong to you. You didn't save yourself. You didn't rescue yourself. You didn't fight your way out of the, 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 the belly of a fish. You didn't swim your way to shore. You didn't fix it. You were unable to. He saved you and him alone. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is the miracle. And that should be the thing that reverberates in our, our ears and our hearts like nothing else. He's the one that has fixed it. He's repaired the great divide. He's come. He's the one that has enabled dead things to, to come back to life. He has spoken into my heart and he has changed and transformed me for all of eternity. And part of the reason that I get passionate about this is because I need to be reminded of this continuously in my own life. Because I will continuously think that I can fix it and that I did it and that wasn't I the great hero and wasn't I the victorious one. No, it's all about Christ. But it's not just about good news for me. I'm adamant that, 
that this is the ointment that the world needs more than anything else. This world is desperate to know that he rescues and saves and not themselves. You know, I live in a world as you do where there is so much hopelessness and, and shame where people, you know, they live in fear and worried that, you know, oh, their worst tweets are going to resurface and that someone will actually discover, you know, how bad they are and they don't know where else to turn. And something stirs in my heart saying, we have the good news of the gospel that should break into lives like nothing else. You know, it's not just about being kind to one another. Being kind is great. We should start by being kind. But unless I know that God forgives me, unless I know that he took the punishment in my place, he died in a tree that, so that I didn't have to, then this world walks blindly through it and tries to search for answers somewhere else. But listen, brothers and sisters, we are those who are called to take the good news of the gospel to a broken and fallen world and tell them all that Christ has done on our behalf. It's incredibly good news. And it's, and it's, and it's something that sh should grow confidence in us because the, the salvation doesn't belong to us. You don't have to save anyone. You just have to tell them the good news of the gospel and live your life in the honesty that you need him and you need him continually. And as you do those things, he rescues and saves and changes and transforms lives and he's been doing it generation after generation after generation after generation and he'll continue to do it long into the future as we see lives changed and transformed as, as they hear the gospel of grace spoken into their lives. And what that means is to say this table that we're about to come to has a place for all who would choose to believe. It's not an exclusive table. It's not a, t a table we say, ah, we, we can't really fit around the table anymore. No, Jesus, you know, he puts out the emergency, emergency chairs continuously, as it were, and says, come to the table and eat. All those who long to put their faith and trust in me Salvation is open for all who would believe. Anyone can call on the name of the Lord. And for some, today is the day of salvation. Call on the name of the Lord. Ask him for rescue. Remember that he and he alone rescues and saves. And as our musicians uh, come back up, we're just going to get ready now to, to come to the table together. And as we come and as we eat and drink these emblems of his body and, and blood, we acknowledge the fact that he did it. He was victorious. He, he made a way. He restored a relationship between himself and man. And, and we get to live in the good of it uh, for all time. You know, the, the, the crazy thing is... Um, the next couple of weeks, we're going to find out, like I said earlier, Jonah uh, was not a finished um, article. Uh, Jonah did get a second chance. He got to go back to Nineveh. And if I'm honest, he preached a pretty cruddy sermon, actually. Um, but it still brought about salvation to all those who chose to trust in God. But Jonah used that opportunity to go with the good news that he experienced in the belly of the fish and tell others. And you know, that would be my instruction to you today, my exhortation, just to say, come and enjoy the goodness and grace of God at this table together. And then go and do likewise.
Go and proclaim all that Christ has done this week and all that you do. Show, the, show a love for Jesus and a love for others in, in the way that we care and in the way that we proclaim Christ, that Christ has died in our place, that he has risen, that he has made a way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that for all that you have done. Thank you that you have brought about your great salvation plan on our behalf. Actually, you were the one that sunk into the foundations of the earth for three days in order to rise again and to make a way for us. Oh, I thank you that you are the one that brings about salvation. Salvation belongs to you and you alone. We are are trophies of your grace and goodness this morning and for the rest of our days. Thank you that you have rescued us. You've you've given us a hope. And we too want to proclaim the goodness of all that you've done. Because we know that anyone that cries to your name can enjoy the goodness and grace and salvation plan of God in their own lives. Holy Spirit, would you help us to do that? Cause us to be ministers of grace, ministers of reconciliation in all that we do. To represent you well to the world in which we live. Oh, we pray in Jesus' mighty name today. Amen.